Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. I love sharing Torah classes, and thank you for listening to this episode. Feel free to follow and to share with others so they too can enjoy the Torah classes on this podcast. Now, on to the episode. Today's daf Mesech is getting is daf Nun Ches 58. We're beginning the last line of Nun Zayin Amud Beis. This is Hashem. Today's daf we're going to have four sections. The first section is going to be a conclusion of the atrocities that occurred and the implications of them regarding Beitar, which was the discussion we finished off with yesterday, and then certain related uh, teachings that related to Bayis Rishon as well. The second section we're going to have three different storylines that show the depravity and the lowliness the Jews experienced based on the Chorban. The third section we're going to tie back into our Mishnah, the three parts of our Mishnah we'll discuss when it comes to Sikriko and in the three different Psakim of Mishnah Rishonah, Bezin Shalach Arayim, and then Rebbe Hoshif Bezdin. And then the fourth section is going to be a Machlokis Rav and Shmuel regarding the quarter that needs to be paid to the owner and how we calculate that quarter. So as Hashem, let's get started. Last line of Nun Zayin Amud Beis, Amar Rabba So we finished off yesterday. We were talking about Betar, how Betar was destroyed, um, and uh, the millions of people that were killed there. So the Gemara picks up on that note, really, which was the third of the three ideas that Rabbi Yochanan said associated with the Chorban back on Nun Hayamud Beis, uh, because of. Uh, the side of a chariot Beta was destroyed, as we explained yesterday, with the daughter of Caesar. So let's continue now. Forty saah, which is a measure, kitzutze tefillin, of the bottom of the tefillin, means the black box parts, not the straps themselves. So forty saah, which is a certain measure, of these boxes of tefillin, nimtzu beroshe haruge Beta were found on the heads of the people who were killed in Betar is a tremendous amount of tefillin boxes. Rabbi Yanei Berebi Yishmael Amar, so he had a different version. He said, Shalish kupais shal arboim arboim saw, that there were three boxes of 40 saw each that was found. And Vimasnisa Tana, a third version which is similar to the second, said, arboim kupais shal shalish shalish saw, and that there were 40 boxes of three saw each of these bottom of tefillin that was found. So basically, we seem to have alternative facts here because the first version of the story is there were 40 saw of these boxes of tefillin found from the Aruge Beitar. And the second two versions seems to imply it was 120. Velopligi, but the Gemara says it's not actually a machlaikis, hadereisha v'hadadara, is that the ones that we said, this, the second and third version, which say it was 120 saw, they were the larger tefillin shalrosh, which Rashi explains because there's four compartments in the tefillin shalrosh, and therefore, they're larger, which means it was more, it was actually three times the amount of the tefillin shalyad in terms of measure. And hadidara, and when we said in the original teaching that it was 40 saw, that was referring to the tefillin shalyad, because they're small, there's only one compartment, therefore, there was only 40 corresponding to the 120 saw, which was really the same amount of tefillin. This teaching is very much reminiscent of, you go to Auschwitz and you see how they kept, uh, preserved the room full of shoes and the room full of the items they took from the Jews. So you think about that, it because it preserved in history, and this is what they were able to see after the destruction. There's tons of tefillin, so many tefillin that was taken from these people or removed from these people, unfortunately. Lo aleinu. Amar Ravasi, Amar Ravasi, Ravasi continues and says, Arboa kavin moyach nimtzu alevin achas. 
Four coven of brains was found on one stone. And this is going back to Bayes Rishon, as we'll see in a moment. I mean, they, they, they smashed children, they smashed people's heads on, bra- on, on stone, and they, they found four coven, a measure of brains, on those stones. Ula Amar Tisha coven, it was nine coven, says Ula Amar of Kahana Itema. Sheila Barmari Micro, what's the source in the Pasik for this concept? Because in Tehillim, when it talks about Korban Bayas Rish, and the Pasik says, Bas Bavel Ashedudah, the daughter of Babel, the plunderer, Ashresha Yeshalim Lach, praiseworthy is the one who punishes, who pays you back for what you did wrong. And the way we understand the end of the Pasik is, Ashresha Yoichez Veni Petes Alalaich Elasala, the Pasik says, praiseworthy is the one who takes a baby from the Babylonians and dashes its, the children against a rock and kills them. So it's corresponding to what they did to the Jews. That's going to be what ended up happening to them. The point is, we see that that's how they treated the Jews in Bayes Rishon, which is a support to the idea we just said. Continues the Gemara. Let's go back to Bayes Shani now. It says in the Pasuk, we're going to talk about the Haruge Beitar now. The children of Zion that are the deer, now this word we're going to have to understand what this means. That our is with a beautiful gold and jewelry. So my what does that mean? If it means that the beautiful children, as we'll learn from Beitar, were covered in gold, in paz, in this this very expensive jewelry. So the problem is that there were two measures of sloim, of paz, of this type of expensive jewelry in the world. So one was in Rome and one was in the rest of the world. So clearly it doesn't mean they were covered in this stuff because there was just very, there wasn't that much of this kind of jewelry, of this kind of ornamental uh, metal, etc. So El of the Gemara says what it means, paz, is that they were more praiseworthy than paz, than this precious stone that uh, was so expensive and valuable. Shahayu Meganin, what it means is Misulam means they were praised more than that. They would ashame, they would put Paz to shame because of their beauty. What does it mean? So the Gemara explains this based on what happened. Initially, when the Romans would have relations with their wives, so what they viewed while they were having relations, apparently had influence on the babies that would come out. So they would they would look at uh, the signet ring, which had a nice picture on it, and then they hoped that that would produce children that were beautiful. Meaning they would look at their signet rings of Paz, that's the point. After they took the Jewish captives to Rome, so they would degrade them and they would bring Jewish kids, they would tie them to the feet of the bed, and they'd have relations. And when they would look at the beautiful uh, Jewish kids and children, and they would they would uh, then try to conceive children that were beautiful like them. So the Misulam Paz means they disgraced Paz with their beauty. So one of these, either a kid said to his friend, or a Chavrus said to his Chavrus, he said, Where in the Pasuk, where in the Torah do we find a reference to this level of degradation? He said back, Every illness and every injury, that's not written in this Torah. That's a reference to this type of degradation, which is written in Kisava when it talks about the Toichacha that the Jews are going to receive for not keeping the Torah. So Omar, so the other one who was learning with him said, Kama How far are we from that place? Means they were learning together. How far are we from that Pasuk am I? So Amr lay in good pusto palga, a little further a column and a half. It's a little bit just just coming up. Amr lay, 
lecha. If I would have reached there, I wouldn't have required you. It means I would have figured it out on my own. Continues the Gemara. Rabbi Yudah, Rabbi Yishmael, Mishum, Rabbi Yishmael, Ben Gamliel, Mishum, Ben Gamliel. My dechsev. What does it mean when the pasuk in Eicha says, "Eini Yadel Nafshi Mikol Ben Oisiri"? It says, "My eyes lament for my soul because of all of the daughters of my city." Continues the Gemara. What is that referring to? Arba Meos, Batei Knesios, Hayu Bekrach Beitar. We're going to see the multitudes and plethora of kids who were learning Torah, and that's Ben Oisiri that we're talking. Mikol Ben Oisiri. 400 Batei Knesios, there were shuls in Krach Beitar, in this city of Beitar. Because each one had 400 Rebbeim teaching children Torah. And each of the Rebbeim had 400 students. When the enemies entered Beitar, so they tried, the, these children tried to stab the enemies with their sticks. However, when the enemies overpowered them and conquered the city, they wrapped these kids up in their own sfarim, and they lit them up in fire and they killed them in that, in that uh, terrible fashion. All right, let's move on now to the second section. We're going to have three different storylines here about the tragedy and destruction because of sins, as we'll learn. Tan Rabbanan says the Brisa, Maisa, Rav Yeshua ben Hananya. The story is where he went to a big city in Rome. And they told her, There's a child in the jails here. His beautiful eyes. Very pleasant countenance. And his curls are ordered in a very pleasant way. So apparently Rishu ben Hanani assumed this was a Jewish captive. He went and stood at the jail. Omer and he called out the beginning of a Pasuk in Yeshaya that says, Who gave Yaakov over to the plunderers and Yisrael over to the, the, the uh, people who take spoils? That child finished off the Pasuk for Omer and he said, It's Hashem because we sinned to him. We didn't want to, we didn't desire to follow in his ways. We didn't listen to his Torah. So Amar, Sir I'm confident about this child, whoever he is, that he's going to become a Paisik amongst the Jewish people. I swear. I'm not going to move from here until I redeem him with whatever money they ask from me. Amru, so they said, that this Rishobah Hananiah did not leave there until he redeemed this child with a tremendous amount of money. And like he had predicted, this child became a great Paisek. Umanu, who was he? Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha, Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha, who became a Kohen Gadol, also as we're about to learn. Says the Gemara, Amrav Yudamarav, continuing with Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha. Now, there was a story with the children, the son and daughter of Yishmael ben Elisha, that both of them were taken captive, a son and a daughter, one by one Roman captor and one by the other. After some days, these two captors met in one place. One of them said, I have a slave that... There's no one like him in terms of his beauty in the world. And the other one had taken the daughter captive. He said, I have a, a female, a maidservant, that there's no one like her in the world in terms of her beauty. So Amr, they said, great. Let's marry them to each other. They'll have children and we'll have very expensive slaves to sell off. 
They put them into a room together and it was dark and they couldn't see each other. And they assumed nature would take its course. They'd have relations and they'd bear children. So the boy sat in his corner. And the daughter of Yishmael ben Elisha sat in her corner. Each one was lamenting about their situation. The son said, I am a Koyan, the son of Koyan of Gedolim. Esa Shifcha, how can I marry a Shifcha? Vizoy Semeris. And the girl said, Ani Koyanis Bas Koyanim Gedolim. I am the daughter of the Koyanis, the daughter of Koyanim Gedolim. And Asilish Leavid, can I be married to an Eved? Ubachu Kolalai, they cried all night. Kivan Sha'ala Mudashachar. Once the rays of the morning started to pierce through and they could see each other, Hekiru Zeh said they recognized each other. Venaflu Zel Zeh. They fell on each other, they embraced and they wailed in crying until their souls left them from exhaustion and from sadness. About these two, Yermia laments and he says, About these I cry out, My eyes stream tears. Continues the Gemara, another Maisa. There was a story with a certain woman. Her name was Tzafnas Bas Peniel, which was a reference to her uh, actual being. What is it? Tzafnas. Tzafnas means they gaze at her. She was very beautiful. Everyone gazed at her. Bas Peniel. Peniel is an acronym. It means the one who went inside. She was the daughter of the Kohen Gadol that would go into the Kodesh HaKadoshin, that was able to go into the holiest places. So she was a, a daughter of a Kohen Gadol, a righteous woman. And she was taken captive by the Goyim, and she was abused all night. The next morning, the captor had had enough of her, and he took her, covered in seven garments, out to be sold as an Ashifcha. So a certain very ugly person came to purchase her. Omar Lai, so this, the, the potential purchaser said, Harenius Yafya, show me your beauty. Omar Lai, so the seller said, Reka, empty one. If you want to buy her, purchase her. There's no beauty like hers in the entire world. Omar Lai, so the potential purchaser said, Afapikin, even so, I want to see her beauty. So the seller took off six of her garments. And the seventh, she took off herself. And she rolled in the ashes or in the dust. Amr Lefanov, she said in front of Hashem Rebbeinu the master of the world. If you're not going to have mercy on us, how could you not have mercy on your own holy name? Meaning we are representatives of you. And we're, when we're disdained and disgraced in this world, it's a chil Hashem for you. And Yermia lamented about this woman, the daughters of my nation, Gird yourself with sackcloth, and roll in the dirt, roll in the ashes. Evil yachid asilach, a individual mourning I've done for you. Misbit tamrurim, a bitter eulogy. Because suddenly the captors, the plunderers, have come against us. Alecha leinemer. So the point here is, it doesn't say alecha on you, the Jewish people. Ela aleinu. It means on us. That the disgrace over here wasn't against the Jews alone. It was also against Hashem, because the Jews are His representatives in this world, and they be and they're being disgraced. The Pasuk in Micha tells us, It says they uh, plundered or they, they took, oppressed a man and his house, which refers to his wife, a man and his inheritance. This refers to another story that showed the level of sin the Jews engaged with 
that caused the destruction. There's a story with a person, that he wanted to be with the wife of his teacher. Now, this doesn't mean a Rebbe in the sense of Torah, but it was his teacher. He was an apprentice. He was an apprentice to a carpenter. So he was looking at the carpenter's wife and he was desiring her. One time, his master needed to take a loan. So Amar Laisa, the apprentice, said to him, Send your wife to me and I'll be happy to provide a loan and she'll bring it back to you. So the carpenter sent his wife to the apprentice. Uh, to receive the loan. She remained with the apprentice for three days. They were sinning together as she was an Asian and she seemed to have been complicit in this as well. So the carpenter said, I don't know what's going on. So he went over to the apprentice's house to figure out what was going on. So the apprentice said to the carpenter, the wife that I sent you, hey, excuse me. So the carpenter said to the apprentice, Where's my wife? So Amrle, the apprentice said, I sent her back immediately. But I heard that she was messing around with some kids on the way, young people. So Amrle, so the, car, the carpenter said, what should I do? So the apprentice said, if you listen to my advice, Gersha divorce her. I'm like, but she has a great suva, and I don't have the money to pay that up. I'm like, no problem, I'll lend you the money, and you could divorce her and pay her suva. So the, the carpenter listened to the apprentice, and he divorced her and paid the suva. So immediately the apprentice went and married that woman. This was a plot. When the time came for the original man, to pay up his apprentice, who now was married to his original wife, and he didn't have the money to pay back. So the tides have turned. He said, come work for me. Now you, my original master, will come work for me, and you'll pay off your debt that way. Now he, them, meaning the original apprentice, who was now married to the wife of the original carpenter, were sitting and eating and drinking. And the original master was serving his original apprentice and his original wife, uh, food, serving them food and drink. And tears were streaming down his eyes and falling into their drinks. And because of that issue, the Gzardin of the Chorban was sealed. That it was because of two wicks in one candle, i.e., the same woman was sleeping with two different men. This adultery that occurred caused the Chorban bias. Okay, Baruch Hashem, we finished the Gemaras that relate to the Chorban. Now we're going to move on to the Mishnah and the third section of the day. So let's just remember what the Mishnah tells us. There's really three sections of the Mishnah. Let's repeat them outside and then we'll go ahead with the third section. So the first section of the Mishnah said if somebody purchases property from a Sikrikon, which means somebody, a guy that had taken land under the duress of death from another Jew, so he said that the halacha is, if he purchases it from the guy, and then he purchases it from the Yisrael after, the Yisrael after only sold it because he was pressured, or because he felt like he would be able to get this land back from the second buyer more than the guy, and therefore it's not considered an effective transaction, mechan batel, and it goes back to the original uh, Jew. However, that was the missionary Shona. Based in Shalach Rehan said that in such a case, what can happen is he could purchase it and he can pay a quarter of its value to the original owner and then it becomes his property. And the reason there's a quarter is because, as we'll learn in the last section of the day, the, goy, the Goyim tend to sell for a quarter less than their value, which we'll see how we calculate that. So he pays the original owner a quarter of its value 
That's based in Shalach HaRayim, and then he can keep the property he purchased from the Sikrikon. Rebbe Hoyshev Bezin, this is the third section of the Mishnah, and Rebbe established that if the property stayed in the hands of the Sikrikon for 12 months, so then the person who purchases it can keep it, and he pays a quarter of its value to the original owner. But then, uh, meaning that would be if uh, if it was only for for 12 months in the hands of the um, if, the, if it stayed in 12 months in the hands of the Sikrikon, even if the original owner had the money to purchase it back, he'd be able to do that. Fine. So those are the three sections of our Mishnah. Now, says the Gemara, let's, let's, we're going to now discuss Psakim regarding all three. So, so we said in the Mishnah Rishona that in a scenario where the person purchased it from the Sikrikon and then he purchased it afterwards from the original Jewish owner, it's batel. It's not an effective transaction. The reason being either because the Jew sold it to him out of fear the guy would kill him if he wouldn't or because he figured I'll deal with the second purchaser and claim it back better than the Sikrikon. So Amar Rav, Rav explains, The only time that we say it's batel, it's not a good transaction, and the second purchaser does not own it, if the original Jewish owner only said, go and acquire it, but if he also wrote a shtar saying, this is going to be your property, which he did not have to do, he showed that he was wholehearted in the transaction, and the new buyer is actually the owner. Shmuel Amr Shmuel argues, he says, even if he sold it using a shtar, it wouldn't be a transaction. Unless he wrote specifically in the shtar that there's a chrayas nechassim, meaning should it be taken from you, you can come back and claim it from me. That would be an excessive action that's unnecessary that shows that he means wholeheartedly to sell it to the Yisroel, the second Jew who purchased it from the Sikrikon. Turning to Nechassim base. Tiny that supports Shmuel. The Bryce This was the corresponding case of our Mishnah, where a person purchases properties that were designated to be collected as the Ksuva collection from the woman, and then he purchased it from the man. So the woman didn't have to sell it, and there was no pressure initially because the man hadn't sold it beforehand. So there the sale will actually be effective. However, if it was the opposite, that he purchased it from the husband and then from the woman after, so she could claim, I only sold it under pressure, I didn't want to disappoint my husband or make him upset at me, then it would be nullified. Unless she wrote achrayis in the document. This is a clear rav to, uh, raya to rav, kashan shmuel. Excuse me, clear, clear raya to shmuel, kashan rav, because you see, in order for it to be effective, it has to be that there's achrayis, not just a shtar. Let's say this is a refutation to Rav. Rav, Rav answers, When it says, it means you wrote a shtar. A shtar normally creates a scenario of responsibility that if it's taken away, you could come back to me. It really just means to say shtar. Okay, let's move on to the second point over here in this section. And this is regarding Cheska Shalashanim. So we said in the Bezin Shalach in our Mishnah said that when the fellow purchases, it, purchases this property, Jew number two purchased it from the Sikrikon, he can keep it and he pays a quarter of its value to the original owner. So the Gemara here tells us as follows. We, we know that there's a halacha that if you, purchase, if you purchase property, so for three years, the original owner can theoretically tell you, show me the documentation that it's mine. However, if after three years, you have a chazaka on that land already, and you have a taina, means you have a good claim to how it came to be in your property, you actually become the owner. Chazaka shi'eshim taina, that's called chazaka of chezkas gemoshanim, and it's effective. Well, the Gemara here is going to discuss what happens in a scenario where he purchases it back from the Sikrikon, he holds on to it for three years, and then he sells it to a second, a, sec, a third buyer, really, a third owner of this property. So what's going to be the halach in this case? Tan it says the b'raisa, So you have Yisrael number two buys this land from the Sikrikon, 
And then he enjoys the land for three years in front of the original Yisrael owner, who doesn't protest for three years. Then he goes and sells it to Jew number three, right, which is the second purchaser in the case of this property. Says the Brisa, The original owners cannot have any argument against the second purchasers, meaning this new buyer. He can't claim a quarter of the value of the property that is the normative halacha based on the Mishnah, the based in Shalach HaRayim. What is the case of this Brisa? If the scenario is that the second purchaser said, from you he bought it, meaning when the first person bought the land from the Sikrikon, he paid you a quarter of its value, and then he sold it to me. Now if that's the case, that's a chazaka, because he had three years, and there's a taina. So the Gemara says, if that's true, so even the original purchaser from the Sikrikon would be allowed to keep it and not have to pay a quarter of its value to the original owner, because that's a chazaka sheyeshim taina. Now, if the second person is not saying that the original buyer paid you a quarter of its value, so then it's just a chazaka without a taina. How is it that the second person can get away without paying a quarter? He should also have to pay a quarter of its value. So, really, the case is that no one's having this claim. They're not saying I paid a quarter of the value. However, in this case, we, Bezin, will step in and make a claim for the Yorish or the Lekech, the purchaser, because they don't necessarily know what happened originally. And Rashi says, even if in general Bezin wouldn't step in and do that, and there's some Shittas who say we wouldn't, here we assume that since when you purchased from the Sikrik and you don't just want to throw your money away, Mistama, he paid the quarter value to the original owner so that he could actually claim real ownership on it. So the second fellow who purchased it from the first one who bought it from the Sikrik on we will claim on their behalf, probably he paid the quarter and they're off the hook, they don't have to pay that, they can keep the property without any payments. The Idach, but the original one who purchased the Sigrikon, Itoin, if he wants to make that claim, prove his position, and it's good, he doesn't have to pay a quarter of its value. The Eloitoin, but if he's not going to claim, which he could, if he's not going to lie, then we're not going to claim it for him because he should know to be able to make that claim. The fact that he's not doing it, we're not going to claim on his behalf. Okay, point number three on the Mishnah now. Tanur Abanan, Haba Machmas Chayv. So now we're, we discussed in the Mishnah cases of Sikrikon, which means the guy claimed property under the threat of death. He was threatening, I'm going to kill you. They gave property to the guy. We said, Mechon Batzel, according to the Mishnah Rishona, Bezin Shalach Arim said, you pay the original owners a quarter of its value. Now what we're talking about here is as follows. Haba Machmas Chayv. If Goyim claimed land from Jews because of just a general debt, they weren't going to kill the Jews, it's just a general debt that the Jew owed the Goy. Umachmas on Paris. Or it was just general thievery. They didn't own the Goy anything. And the Goy came and stole land from the Jew. Ain by Mishum Sikrikon. There's no ruling of Sikrikon. So Rashi explains what that means is, which makes sense, is that the case of Sikrikon, the concept of Sikrikon, whether it's Batel, or we're going to say like the Mishnah Shona, or as the Mishnah Achrona said, if uh, it's the, the someone purchases it from that guy afterwards, he pays the original owner a quarter and he can keep the land, that's only a rule of Sikrikon because there was a duress of death, and therefore the Jew originally transferred it wholeheartedly to the Goy to prevent himself from dying. Here, we don't necessarily have that phenomena. Rather, there's no duress of death, there's no threat of death, and therefore, even if somebody purchases it back, the Jew purchases it back, it's going to be Mechon Batal because the Jew who purchases it cannot claim that it was a wholehearted sale by the original Jew as it wasn't under the threat of death when the Jew gave it to the Goy originally. 
Rashi explains this within Rebbe as well, which is if it stayed in the hands of the guy for 12 months, it's not going to be like Sikrikon in the scenario that the one who purchases it can just pay a quarter and keep it. Rather, it actually has to go back. says Rashi. He'd have to return it, which is the same logic as what I just explained, because he didn't give it wholeheartedly to the guy originally. And now, even if someone purchases after 12 months, like Rabbi said, he'd have to give it back to the original Jew Bechinam for free. And the Brisa finishes off on Paras Atzma, and on Paras itself, it has to remain for 12 months in the hands of the Goy, seemingly for the one who purchases it to keep it. So the Gemara challenges right away, You just said that there's no rule of Sikrikon, of, of Sikrikon when it comes to someone, a guy that just steals it on Paras. So how can you say now that it is a similar halacha? So the Gemara is like this. Sikrika in Atzma, really what it means to say is like this, Sikrika in itself, like Rabbi said in our Mishnah, in order, that's how Rabbi was Hashabes, and that was the Chiddush that he was saying, in order for the Jew who purchases it back to be able to keep it and give a quarter of its value to the original owner, it has to stay in the hands of the Sikrika for 12 months. Because then we know that the original Jew gave up hope of getting it back. He didn't uh, attempt to, to reclaim it. However, on Paros, that's different. That's not the same. So even if it remains for 12 months in the hands of the Goy, the person who purchased it would actually have to give it back to the Jew, Bechinam, for free, because we don't assume that it was wholeheartedly transferred and kept by that Goy. There's no Takanas Chacham in that case for the one who purchased it to keep it and pay a quarter of its value. Um, Rabbi Yosef says, Rabbi Yosef, Naktin, and we have a tradition, Ein Anparis Bebavel, that the rule of Anparis, Anparis does not exist in Bavel. Now, the implication of that, says Rashi, is that if a, a guy stole land from a Jew, and then somebody purchases it back from that guy, so then the ruling would be that he would have to return it to the original uh, Jew. He, he would not have to return it to the original Jew uh, because we don't have the concept of. Right, meaning if somebody purchased land from a guy and then someone else came and said, that was stolen from me, we will not rely on the concept of Anparis that we just laid out, and it will not go back to the original person. Rather, the one who purchased it is going to be able to keep it. So the Gemara says, But we clearly see that there are Anparis and Bavel, and therefore the rule should apply. When the original Jew comes back and says, the guy stole it from me, it should go back to him, as we just explained. Rather, what it means to say is, We cannot apply the ruling of Anparis that it will go back to the original owner in Bavel, my time, what's the reason? Because since there are courthouses in Bavel, where a Jew would be able to take the guy to court, and the Jew didn't do that and complain against the guy in court, clearly he was Michael, and then the one who purchases it from that guy could keep it and does not have to give it back to the original Jew, like on Paris we explained. Gemara quotes a story now to illustrate this concept a little bit, really that ties into the idea of Sikrikon. So there was a fellow, his name was Gilbari Eloi. He received the portion of land in a valley to pay the taxes of that land from the, uh, he accepted it from the owners of the, from the people who worked the land in the valley. Now what that means is there was a large area of land where different individuals had their ownerships on, and there was a certain tax that as a collective unit they'd always pay the government, the king, every year. Now one of the people who owned one of the areas in that valley went away. So they gave that property to Giddel and they said you could work the land, enjoy its benefits, and pay the taxes year by year that the original owner of that property is not doing because he's not here. So Giddel, uh, he was a very uh, 
forward-thinking person, and he paid three years of taxes in advance. He figured, I'll enjoy the benefits of three years without having to pay taxes because I'll pay it up front in advance. With Saif, in the end, the original owner came back, and they said to Giddel, the first year that you gave taxes for Achlas, you already consumed the properties for that, the, the benefits of the property for that year. So therefore, you ate that already. But now for the next two years, I'll pay the taxes. We'll pay the taxes, and we're going to enjoy the benefits. So basically, get out of the land, and you just paid two years for no reason. And Rashi explains what would end up happening now. Me'ata says, Rashi, that the other owners are taking it back. They'll continue to pay taxes. Those two years of taxes that Gidl paid essentially are worthless, and he's not going to get those back. And uh, the owners want to claim back the properties, and they'll pay the next two years the taxes as well, and enjoy the benefits of the land. Also, the Kamei Papa, so they came in front of Rav Papa, Savar, Baga, so now... Repapa thought to write a document of claim against the people of the valley, which means he thought to say he could claim back two years of the taxes that he paid up front, so therefore he should be able to get the benefits of those two years because he paid it off already. If that's true, if you're going to do that, you're applying the situation of Sikrikon here. In the case of Sikrikon, as we learned in the Mishnah Chrona, in the Beis Nishalach the one who purchases it from the guy pays a quarter of its value and keeps the property that he purchased. We don't want him to lose out. So here, too, what you're trying to say is that since he paid up three years of taxes in advance, he should be able to keep the benefits of those three years. The problem is this is not comparable to Sikrikon because there was no duress of death for him to pay those things out. And since there was no threat of death over here, there's no reason also that he should be able to reclaim whatever it was that he paid out. He placed his money on the horn of a deer, i.e., he forfeits it like a quick deer runs away, loses it, and therefore he doesn't get anything back. That's his own fault for being so proactive unnecessarily. Okay, let's move on to the final section. <coughs> so the Mishnah Rishayna said that when it comes to purchasing from the Sikrikon, if you purchase from the Goy and then the Jew, it will be Botel, but based in Shalachare and Amru, the later courts, Paskin, Alokeach, Mina Sikrikon, Noisin, Labailam, Revia, the one who purchases from the Sikrikon can pay the original owners a quarter of its value and he can keep the land. And the logic is, as we'll explain, because when the Goy sells it to the original, to, the, to another Jew, He's not selling it at fair market value because for him it's entire profit. He diminishes its sales by a quarter, and therefore he has to pay that quarter to the original Jew that he didn't pay the guy for this land. So we're going to have Machlegis here, Rav and Shmuel. How do we calculate this quarter that the purchaser has to pay the original Jew? The Gemara tells us like this, Amar Rav, Rav's the first opinion. Revia Bekarka, he pays a quarter of the land, or a quarter of the money. Now, what does that mean? It means as follows. Rashi gives the example, which is a good example. The guy, this is how Rashi learns. The guy is going to charge a fifth less of its value when he sells it to the Jew. So if the land is really worth five coins, the guy will only charge four. So therefore, when the Jew pays back the original Jew who owned that land, he's going to pay back a quarter of what he paid the guy, a quarter of the mois, which is one out of four, which is a fifth of its true value. So when we say a quarter, it really means a quarter of what he paid, which is actually a fifth of the true value of the property. That's Rav's opinion. Because according to Rav, he diminishes the total true value of the sale by a fifth. 
Shmuel Amar And Shmuel says he pays a quarter of the land, which is a third of its true value. So again, using an example, if the land is worth four, the Goy will decrease it and only charge three quarters of that, he'll charge three. So therefore, what would come out is the Jew who purchased it paid three coins to the Goy, let's say, for its value. He'll pay one coin to the original Jew, which is a third of what he paid, but it's a quarter of the true value of the property. So that's what it means when it says a quarter. It's a quarter of the true value versus according to Rav, it's a quarter of what he paid. What is the basis of the debate between Rav and Shmuel? Shmuel holds that a goy diminishes the sales value of its true value by a quarter and charges three for what's really worth four. He diminishes it by a fifth. He'll charge four for a property that's worth five, and therefore you have to pay back the Jew a quarter of what you paid him, which is a fifth of the value of the property. Mesa they asked the Gemara Kash from Abraisa on Shmuel. The Braisa says, which is very similar to our Mishnah, Zu Mishnah Rishayna. The Mishnah Rishayna learned that if he paid the Goy and then he paid the Jew, it's Batal. But Bezin Shalacharei and Amr, the later courts Paskin, Alokiach Minasikarika. And if someone purchases the property from a Goy Nois in the Bailam Revia, he can pay the original owners a quarter of its value, Viyad Bailam Al El Now, the, the original owners have the upper hand, and therefore, Ratzubakarka Nightland, if they want to take back some of it from the land, they could. Ratzubamais Nightland, if they want to take back from the monies, they're allowed to do that as well. Amasai, how does this, when is this true that he can purchase back? That's only when the original owners don't have the money to buy back. But if the original owners would have money to purchase back their properties, they would be the first ones in line, and this Jew who purchased wouldn't be allowed to and just pay a quarter. Rebbe, Hoyshev Bezdin, Rebbe established a court, Benimnu, and concluded that if it remained in the hands of the guy for 12 months, the new purchaser can keep it. Or, but, but he would have to give the original owner a quarter of the karka, keywords, or revia b'mois, or a quarter of the value. Now, according to Rav, this works out very well, because according to Rav, he diminishes a fifth of the land value, which is a quarter of the purchase price. So revia b'mois is exactly what Rav's uh, understanding went. But according to Shmuel, it should really be not revia b'mois, but it's going to come out to be a third of the original value, because as we explained, if it was worth four, he would charge three. So it shouldn't be revia, it should be a third. So Amar, Amar Ravashi, Ravashi answers for Shmuel, Kitan Yahahi, that b'risa actually fits very well with Shmuel, because what does it mean a quarter of the money? It means after he pays the original owner what he owes him, which is actually a third of what he originally paid the guy, it'll come out that he paid altogether a quarter to the Jew what he has paid altogether, which means between what he paid the guy and the Jew, this monies that he's paying the Jew is a quarter of the total monies that he has spent. That's what it means that he's paying a quarter, because if you combine the three that he paid the guy and the one that he paid the Jew, the one that he paid the Jew is now going to be a quarter of the monies. But it comes out, actually, this fits beautifully with Shmuel, because what it really means to say is you're paying a third of the original payment, which is a quarter of the total payment that he's done after the fact. We're stopping here at the bottom of Nun Chesem with Bez at the bottom. Ezra Shem, we're going to pick up tomorrow with Daphne and Tess. We're going to further discuss the ruling of Rebbe, Rebbe Hoysheh Bezdin. Everybody have a wonderful day.